Welcome to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. Marketing is our passion, and as a chapter, we hope to inspire dialogue, fuel creativity, and create a community for marketers everywhere. Let the inspiration and dialogue begin. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is ama.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe to our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Hello, we're your Marketers in Motion podcast hosts. I'm Josh Janoviak. Unfortunately, Megan not able to join us for today, but we do have a a pinch hitter, I guess we could say. We'll introduce him in just a moment. But first, today's topic, marketing yourself for a rewarding career. The majority of our AMA programming focuses on marketing, innovation, and problem solving for the organizations at which we work. But today, we flip the script. We put ourselves in the spotlight, utilizing our knowledge to market ourselves for a challenging and rewarding career. How often do you think about where you want to be in 5, 10, or even 15 years? How can you create a network and surround yourself with colleagues that will challenge and inspire you to grow? What types of ongoing education, training, and certifications can help take your skill set to the next level? How can you keep your resume and portfolio updated with not only a laundry list of past responsibilities, but a proven track record of success and accomplishments? Today, we'll chat with Angie Callen, founder and principal at CareerBenders, Inc., a certified professional resume writer, certified professional career coach, and host of the new No More Mondays podcast, a show that inspires confident professionals into leveraging their best asset, yourself. Before we get into the meat of the topic, let's thank our amazing sponsors who support our podcast and our entire AMA West Michigan season. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, River City Studios. They offer recording, mixing, mastering for podcasts, TV, film, radio, and musicians. Check them out at rivercitystudios.com. That's where we are recording our podcast today. I also like to thank our annual sponsors. Without them, none of what we do would be possible. Gold sponsors, MI Biz and Vizcom Media, Silver Sponsors, PageWorks, Bird and Bird Studio, and Red 66 Marketing, Bronze Sponsors, OFA and Grand Valley State University Conference and Event planning. Now, we officially wrapped up our 2020-21 season in April, and we'd like to thank all of our presenters, podcast guests, sponsors, members, and volunteers for another great, albeit challenging, season. We are planning on returning to in-person events this fall at the GVSU Seedman Center and cannot wait to start networking in person again. Our incoming AMA West Michigan Board of Directors is meeting as we speak to work out an awesome 2021-2022 season of events, topics, and programming. And if you haven't already responded to our annual survey with thoughts on last season and ideas for this coming season, please share your thoughts by emailing us info at amawestmichigan.org. The Marketers in Motion podcast will continue through the summer months. And if you have a topic you'd love to hear us cover or ideas for great podcast guests, please send your suggestions to podcast at amawestmichigan.org. Future AMA members, log on to amawestmichigan.org to join our local West Michigan chapter and make it official. If you're not in West Michigan, visit ama.org for AMA national information 
information and to find a chapter near you. Free training, certifications, tools, resources, discounts, academic journals, job boards, and networking opportunities are all available for only $150 a year or just 41 cents a day. Cannot beat that. All right, let's welcome our guest. Angie Callen is the founder and principal of CareerBenders, Inc., a full-service career and business coaching company providing personal branding, job search strategy, career change, and solopreneurial coaching for clients across the country. As a former engineer, Angie takes a practical, action-based approach to coaching, which has helped hundreds of clients progress their careers, land amazing new opportunities, and seeing their entrepreneurial dreams come true. Angie has always believed people deserve to be happy in their lives and careers, despite society's continued acceptance of mediocrity. By inspiring confident professionals, Angie and her team help people rise above this norm, build confidence, discover their value, and align these elements for future purpose and satisfaction. Originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Angie has called Colorado Mountains home for nearly 13 years. After spending six years in Boston between college and Colorado, Angie admits she's still got some East Coast tendencies that are tempered by a life of adventure in the outdoors. When she's not logging hours on Zoom, you can find Angie, her husband, Jim, and their four-legged kid, Foster, whitewater paddleboarding, fly fishing, backpacking, snowboarding, cross-country skiing, or enjoying whatever the mountains have to offer. Angie is also a certified professional resume writer accredited through the Professional Association of Resume Writers and Career Coaches. Welcome, Angie. Holy cow. Thank you. I know you don't need me to tell you anything about me and we can just end the podcast now. I know. How about that? Well, I, a mouthful. <laughs> we, we, we definitely want to get a little more insight, though, of uh, of who you are and, and how you got to where you are. I mean, we, we kind of covered a lot of that in the intro, but tell us a little more about yourself and and career benders. Well, 20 years of career and career changes definitely gives you a little bit of a winding journey. And uh, it's all led me here to career benders, which I founded three and a half years ago. And it's evolved as I've evolved with it, but at its core, we provide career coaching, job search strategy, resume writing services to professionals kind of of all walks of life and all professions. And because I've built kind of a successful coaching business, I've also had the opportunity to move into some kind of like startup solopreneurial coaching to help others, you know, kind of follow in this journey too. So it's, it's all things career, whether that means you're trying to build a business that will be your career income or whether you're just trying to navigate the challenges of job searching today. Yeah, I also love all of the content that you have on your website. I'm very impressed with all the stuff that you're doing to promote and educate people of, of your services. A part of my brand, as we get into talking about personal brand, is that I have a never-ending stream of opinions about basically everything in life. And so we use that to our advantage to kind of put out various different types of content that appeal to the various things that make up a, a person whole. And I have, a, I have a marketing manager. I kind of naturally have that kind of strategy. Like uh, this is, I think our audience would like this kind of idea, but I have a marketing manager who actually creates all the content and she's a little bit more creative than me and will come up with kind of some ideas. So I'm sure you've seen, for instance, like we have this outdoor life lesson thing. So you heard this spiel of random outdoor mountainy things that, you know, I do in my spare time. We've, we've actually used that to our advantage to kind of tie them to like life lessons. And it all started from a random video that my husband was like, I was standing in a stream fishing and my husband was like, Hey, start talking. And I'm like, what do you want me to talk about? So I started talking and I made this amazing anecdote about how fishing and job searching are the two things in your life where insanity will actually yield a different result. And then my marketing manager came up with the brilliant idea to make that like a whole series so that people can kind of get an idea of 
you know, what makes me whole as I coach them into their, you know, balanced lives and careers. So. Well, and of course, we're very um, fond of the fact that you have your own podcast. Tell us a little Mm -hmm. more about the No More Mondays podcast. So No More Mondays was born earlier this year at the beginning of 2020. And um, it actually has a a little fun story of how it came to be because I in being somebody who has never ending streams of consciousness and likes to talk to people as a type A personality, have wanted to have a podcast for several years. I always knew it was going to be a conversation format where I would talk to people who had found some sort of career satisfaction, but we didn't have the bandwidth to figure out how the heck to start one and you know who was going to produce it. And I actually had a client who uh, during COVID lost her, lost her job as a television producer because the production company closed. She came to me, I wrote her resume and a month or two later, she calls me kind of out of the blue and she's like, hey, I have an idea. I would like to learn how to produce a podcast and I would love for you to be the host. And so she is the, she's basically the catalyst that, um, cre- the, the, to have No More Mondays be born. And without her, it would not be as professional as it is for sure. Um, and also like we worked through the branding and the, and the kind of focus and everything. So um, it's been really, really fun. And it's really cool to talk to people who have actually figured out how to enjoy their work and not dread Mondays, which is the whole point. Yeah, I'm. Well, I listen to the podcast, and I know that you always ask your podcast guests, you know, what is your word for Mondays? And I'm, I'm always, um, I'm always inspired by the fact that everybody has a, a, a positive word for Mondays. I'm not there yet. I'm, I'm working on it, and I'm trying to reframe my mind for that. But uh, yeah, that's that's a hump that I have to yet get over. We'll get you there. I know we will. <laughs> so anyway, um, again. Everything that we talk about at AMA, particularly marketing and education and how much people are online doing the research for things they want to do, products they want to buy, that inbound content. I mean, you're doing blogs, you're doing um, podcasts, you're doing the little tidbits, uh, the the movies on social media, I mean, is is all great content. So um, very impressed with that. And Thank we want you. to tap into that a little bit in, in today's conversation. Now, before we do that, we have to introduce our special guest host today. So again, Megan wasn't able to join us at the last minute, but it just so happened that I have a good friend of mine here from your neck of the woods, Jay Schultz. Jay, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. I'm one of those interesting people that thought that I could do a career for, you know, 30 years and call it good and uh, recently found myself in in the job market, actually. So I've had to kind of go through some of this myself. Um, I've been a teacher for the last 16 years and I'm still going to be a teacher, but had to kind of change some things up a little bit. So that's my story. Yeah, long gone are the days of doing what our parents did and working not only the same like same employer for 30 years, same job as 30 years. That's gone out the window. And Jay, if it makes you feel better, I've worked with a lot of transitioning teachers over the last year because, um, you know, I don't love to keep talking about pandemics, but it's just been what's been so present for the last year. It really changed teaching. So uh, good on you for making a, a transition to make things a little bit more sustainable. Yeah, I think so. Let's delve in, and I, I definitely do want to drill in down to different different pieces. I, I definitely want to talk about job seeking, 
uh, resume writing tips, interviewing, but really the overall topic today is, again, and this is something I'm really excited about because we often get a lot of these questions from our members about career development, resume writing, job seeking, and we also have some great questions from our members that we're going to weave into today's oh, conversation. Awesome. Uh, but we really want to talk about marketing ourselves. And and I realize it too, because I'm, I'm a victim of this myself. We get so caught up in using all of the concepts and all of the education for marketing these organizations and, and, and products. And we're doing social media and we're doing A-B testing and we're doing in Bound content, but how often do we think about marketing ourselves, networking, our online, our social presence? How much of what we put out there? Because everywhere we go, we're representing ourselves. Every networking event that we go to, which hopefully we'll start going to more of now that you know the yeah. pandemic is is chilling out a little bit. But every networking event, every social post, uh, these are all interactions that we should be cognizant of, and how that moves us towards our. I'll say the dream job, which is something I also want to talk about as well, yeah. because does that really exist and, and how many eggs should we really put in that basket? So I guess let's start at, at square one. In order to properly market ourselves, needing a long-term career strategy and goals as a career coach, how do you recommend somebody start that process? I'm so glad you said the term long-term career strategy because I waver a little bit on that. And this could be, you can kind of take two, two camps here, but I, I actually think that understanding, let's say you have a wayfinding, you have a waypoint, you have a, you have a general kind of compass point radius on a map that you're targeting for so that you know how to create a brand that's going to appeal to those opportunities. But I don't love tunnel visioned long-term career goals. I once, I once ta uh, talked with a client who she says to me, she's like in her early thirties and she says, I want to be a director of operations in 20 years, I said, okay, well, what happens if you work so hard to be a director of operations in 20 years that you miss an opportunity to be the CEO in 10? Yeah. And so you, I think you have to balance uh, having, if you're going to have a long-term goal, it's the compass point you're working towards, but it's not so hard-lined and, and, or linear that you miss the doors that present themselves along the way that really create a much more organic movement. And it's intentional, but you, you end up being open to opportunities instead of having blinders on to this in this tunnel that make you miss those. Um, but I do think, but, but complete lack of clarity and just b bouncing around from here and there is the opposite and the detriment because now you don't know how you're trying to position yourself or talk about your experience or develop a brand around it. And so I think as far as, here's, here's how I start the process with clients to really answer the question that you're asking. And I, I take a life-centric approach to, to your career. So I would start with, outlining what you want life to look like and figuring out what types of careers or the parameters of a career that are going to support that life. So if you want to live in Colorado, that means you're either going to work in tourism. If you're going to live in the mountains of Colorado where Jay and I are, you're either going to work in tourism or you're going to find a remote position, like for instance. And so, um, yeah, for me, it's it's taking stock of life and then figuring out how your prof the professional aspect of you fits into that instead of the reverse. We as a society are really bad about working whatever hours we work and fitting life into what's left. And I, I really strive to flip that on its script. And that's a great place to start as you're trying to kind of plan for the future. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Um, so a, a little bit of, of history on that too. 
my wife and I met out in Colorado. Jay happens to be a friend back in Michigan that all of us relocated to Colorado. And then Courtney and I busted out of Colorado. We actually went to Oregon. Then we came back to Michigan. And now we really miss the mountains and want to get out to Colorado again. But we know living out near Aspen, Roaring Fork Valley, how difficult that is, how expensive cost of living is. So right now we're saving and we're thinking about, okay, you know, what kind of now with the pandemic, silver lining, you know, more people are working remotely. And we see that in the job market out there because now a lot of people are moving to places where they want to live because they can work remotely, have that lifestyle that, that you talk about. So we're going through that process right now of how can we position ourselves, how we can find jobs that are flexible, that will allow us to work remotely, that can allow us to live where we want to live. So yeah, that that really strikes home and kind of having those goals in mind. So I guess back to if you're looking for that work-life balance, are we talking really old school just about writing down what your your top five, I guess, lifestyle balances are so that you can kind of work towards those? Or how would you recommend doing that? I think uh, anytime you can put pen to paper, we so rarely put pen to paper anymore because our phones are the easiest place to take notes. I think if you can put pen to paper, whether it's something that's going to come out in one sitting and you just need to organize your thoughts, or if it's something that you need to journal about over days, weeks, or even months to kind of pick up on common themes that are going to inform what those goals are, I think that that introspection and self-awareness and kind of defining what your life goals are definitely helps kind of shake out the professional opportunities that are going to fit within those, that framework. And let's address the the term dream job because I think that we're all I think we're all guilty of throwing that term around. And I think that's a common interview question. What's your dream job? Where do you want to be in five, 10, 15 years? Do, do dream jobs really even exist? Is that something that we should really be chasing after? You can't answer that in a yes or no. But okay, here's okay. what I'll here's what I'll tell you. There's going to be a couple points to su to support my probably what's going to seem like a fence rider opinion of this thing. There's a reason that when we created the No More Mondays podcast, it is talking to people who enjoy what they do for work and not people who love their jobs and not people who have found their dream jobs. Because in my opinion, if you go seeking out a dream job, you're probably setting yourself up for more disappointment than you are success. However, I do believe that it is possible to find a job that is a dream. Okay. So there's the there's this adage of I have a dream job versus I, I am in this opportunity. I love I absolutely love what I do. That said, nothing's perfect. So I think talking about something, a dream is so uh, so ideal that I don't know that you can ever meet it, even if you get a job that is a dream, because nothing, no situation is ever going to be perfect. I have challenge. I own my own business. I love what I do. In essence, this could be qualified as a dream job, but it still has challenges. And so I think that you have to, if you're going to go searching for a dream job, I think you have to be very cautious of how you're going to define it and realistic about what it's really going to look like in the world. So once you've outlined some of those goals and you have an idea of what your work-life balance would look like and you kind of know what you want to shoot for, help us orchestrate how we'd put together a, a personal branding strategy. So say that we want a you know job that gives us the flexibility. We want to be able to work remotely because that seems to be a thing that a lot of people want to do so they can travel more. So how do we go about building a personal brand? And if you're if you're into these kinds of things, how do we throw that secret out to the universe so we can manifest that? 
Sure. And I, the first thing I think we should say, personal branding has become a very trending topic over the last few years, and it really does drive the kind of hiring and job searching landscape. And so I'm, I love that we're having this conversation, especially in the context of a bunch of people who market and brand businesses, because it has become such an important aspect of of the job searching and hiring process today. And I'm actually going to draw some parallels. So if you everybody out there largely works in marketing. So you know exactly how to market and brand a startup business. You have your your business plan or your at least your vision and concept for the company, the products you're offering and who your audience is. Developing a personal brand is very similar. It's just the implementation is slightly different because the audience and the purpose is different. So you have the concept, you have your general wayfinding of what you want to accomplish now and maybe the next step after that. You have your products, which are these hard skills and marketability or transferable skills you as a person have. And then you have your audience, which are your job search targets. What you have to do is line up all of the assets to align with those goals. So just like you're going to go create a website for a business, you're going to get all the social media and you're going to get the mission in there and the brand and the creative that supports that business. You're going to do the exact same thing with all the materials that support you as a person but instead of a website, you're going to have a resume. If you're a creative professional, maybe also have a portfolio. Side note, um, you know, you're going to have a LinkedIn page. You're going to have interview skills and the way that you present yourself. And all of that really makes up a personal brand, just as everything a business puts out supports its personal brand and the sentiment that people perceive from it. The same exact thing happens as people. We just don't usually drill down to define it in such structured terms as we do for a business. So before we start talking about some of the boots on the ground, tactical things that we can do to start promoting ourselves and some of the tools that we can use, let's talk about confidence and what role that plays. Because I can't speak for everybody else, but, but I know myself that sometimes I suffer a little bit on you know, the confidence of how I'm portraying myself and you know, pushing myself harder. You know, I see different job postings and I'm like, I'm not qualified for that job. And then my wife is like, why not? Like, you've got all of those skills. And I'm like, well, I've never done this. I've never, like, you're resourceful. You can, so talk a little bit about how confidence plays in and how can we help get out of our own minds so mm -hmm. that, that we can, that we can be confident in what we do and what we say. Because again, we do that for our organizations that we represent. But then I think when it comes to us, we get a little scared sometimes. And I think to go back to the previous question of why that defined personal brand is so important, and I, I think it's because it drives that confidence component because you've done the due diligence to define the elements of you that are going to come up in those conversations. And what's really interesting is the career benders tagline is inspiring confident professionals. And there's a very specific reason why that is our, our message is because I, I rebranded, and I should say I really branded the company about a year and a half in. And the reason that we fell on that tagline is because every conversation I had with every professional, whether it was you mid-career figuring out where, like trying to get back to where you want to be, executive who's been at somewhere for 20 years and wants to figure out like how they move out or a 22-year-old coming out of college trying to figure out how the heck you navigate this job market, the word confidence came out in every single conversation. And I think one of the ways to begin building that confidence is by developing in this in this brand that you're at least aware of because it helps you speak to it, whether it's in a resume, a cover letter, your LinkedIn profile or an informational interview or a networking conversation or a real interview that, Josh, what are you looking for? 
or tell me about yourself is always going to come up. And if you haven't figured out how to articulate that, i.e. how to elevate or pitch your brand, uh, it, sh it shakes your confidence. If you don't have the clarity to say this is what I'm looking for, even if it is in a general sense, it rattles your confidence. And that's why I think that understanding your personal brand and your value to the market is important because it drives that confidence. Angie, do you notice any difference in men and women when it comes yes. to confidence? Ooh, yes. Good question, Jay. Um, you'd be you'd be very surprised. Um, so women. So to go back to something, Josh, you said a second ago, the job descriptions. Yeah. The job descriptions rattle your confidence because they're basically written for a freaking unicorn that doesn't exist. So I always recommend people like temper temper your uh, judgment on whether you qualify for something. And statistically speaking, women are way worse at that. Um, they are more likely to apply for stretch roles and they're more likely to kind of overweed themselves out of qualification for something, even from the level of the job description, because we tend to be harder on ourselves and judge each other more, in all honesty. So I think and, and also women are less likely to, to negotiate salaries and job offers. And so women tend to, to, to force on ourselves a lower like a lower level of confidence in the job search probably just because of like our innate qualities and the challenges women have faced, you know, over the years of becoming to the level of professional that they are. But I think, I think men also struggle in different areas. So um, change, I think is a big one for men. Um, and that sense of responsibility that comes from your earning potential and all those kinds of things can definitely affect the ability to look at possibilities or consider alternative tracks because you're kind of trapped by golden handcuffs or that otherwise sense of responsibility. So there's there's definitely challenges on both sides. They're just different in how they present themselves, both through the the process of defining your brand and even in the process of obtaining the job that comes from that. Do you have any resources, um, books, podcasts, or anything like that that you recommend for people that need a good confidence boost? Yes. And I, um, I'm a, I'm a book lover, but I'm not a reader. I just love to have books around for reference. There's a really great book called, uh, rejection proof that is great for that. Cause that's the other thing that comes from this process is it almost perpetuates that comp challenge, the confidence cycle or lack thereof, because rejection is going to happen. Like if there's one certainty in searching for a new job, it's, it's, it's rejection on some level. So rejection and proof is a great uh, a great, uh, very kind of practical, tactical resource. And then I'm a big fan of, I love Brene Brown in general, but her book, uh, The Gifts of Imperfection is her best, is I think one of her best works. And I think it's really great for building confidence around the things that we don't see as, as strengths and just accepting the fact that we're not perfect. So those are two great resources. I would also throw in the um, You Are a Badass, which I know that there are different versions that have kind of um, spun off of that. I don't know if there's one for careers. If not, I think that'd be a great job throwing that out there for the uh, author, Jen. Was it Jen, Jen Sincero? Jen Sincero. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yep. So that one, that one I read. That one, um, that one was a good one as well. And 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 yeah, I think confidence is a is a big thing, and and that's tough. And I, I want to throw my two cents in there on the job descriptions too, because oh my gosh. I hate those. I mean, all of the, and I do too. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of, of books on um, career development, self-improvement, and it's just, 
each one after each one, the people that love to, to say that I'm a great multitasker, it's like all of the books, all the studies show that nobody is designed for multitasking. No. You're just, you're splitting, you're doing numerous things mediocre instead of doing, you know, one thing yep. great. So it's like, it just still chaps me to this day that every job description you see, fast paced, must be a multitasker, must be able to juggle many, like, come on. Fake it till you make it, baby. Yeah, fake it till you make it. Actually, I, I say that to uh, clients when I'm trying to get them to, when they're trying to start businesses. It's like, you got to fake it till you make it a little way. So there's there's some places where that come in, comes into play. But I feel like those job descriptions are either five pages long and you're like, how could this person possibly exist? Or they're like five words long and you're like, okay, now I have no clue what you're asking for. I have another good book recommendation based on what you just said, the one thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's so it's so good because it talks about that exact thing about how we are multitasking is not a strength. It should not be a qualification and it's not something we should do, even though it has become this like uh, you know, penultimate strength that people have in their lives. And that was another good takeaway from that book that really resonated with me because I've always been when we talk about the work life balance, balance has always been a one of my one of my key words. Like balance. I have to be able to balance this and that. I don't want to be to extremes. But in the one thing, they talk about innovation happens in the extreme. So you don't want to be stuck in the middle, just balancing between. You want to get into the extremes and you want to be in the extreme in in work, in your profession. And then you want to get out of that. And then you want to get into the life and personal development. And that's where disruptors, groundbreakings and everything happen. And that that just was a different perspective for me and a, a paradigm shift, if you will. Totally. And even from a societal perspective, there's proof of that. Uber and Pinterest came out of the Great Recession in the 2000s. I can't wait to see what comes out in the next year and a half. I don't know. There's two billionaires flying around space right now. Is that an, is that an indication of what's happening in innovation right. when people are pushed into an extreme? I don't know, but a perfect, perfect example. So let's talk to, because my mind goes to LinkedIn and I love that LinkedIn exists now. And I, and again, I'm sure this is different as you had mentioned portfolios. If you are a graphic designer, um, which I'm sure there are many of in the marketing industry, you know, you need a portfolio if you're an artist, et cetera. Um, but let's talk generally across the board with jobs. Now that LinkedIn exists, because you know people used to have websites back in the day, go to a website, here's all of my work, here's all, all of my credentials. Now LinkedIn has filled in and you can put your work on there, you can get uh, you know references from people, they can talk about you. So is, is LinkedIn pretty much the go-to, the norm now, and or do you need to have your own website or when is that necessary? I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna. I'm gonna answer that question, but answer another question you didn't ask at the same time. Sure. <laughs> LinkedIn. LinkedIn has become a very interesting player in the overall hiring landscape because it has become the place where employers go to validate your credibility. Okay. Um, and to almost like back up the claims, make sure from a brand perspective what they're seeing on your resume and cover letter, if they even read it. Somehow cover letters are still a thing, so I'll just answer that right off the bat. Resume, cover letter, and LinkedIn have become the three legs of an application triangle now. And LinkedIn has become a very interesting place because I believe that the, the idea is if you're willing to put it out in public, it must be true. And I'm going to use that information to back up what you're claiming on your resume. Okay. And so it's, so it's, it's a, I, but at the same time, it's also a very highly underutilized tool for professionals. 
and um, it can it it can it can be neutral and do nothing for you, or it can do really great things for you. And so, if you can move beyond just the passive user who has a profile picture and a headline, and you go in there and change it when you change jobs or when you're looking for a job, you know, there's multiple layers of engagement above that that can really shake up your career. And um, as far as where it comes into play with, let's say, creative professionals or those who may have a portfolio. I think if you're younger in your career or you're less of a, like, let's say that true creative that's going to have a robust portfolio, LinkedIn can be a great asset for you because it has, it has a new feature section where you can go and you can include three links to something that's visual. So now you can go link to a project that's listed somewhere else and not on your own website, for instance. Mm. So there's, there's some tools in there that you can present a few pieces or um, projects that make that makes sense and might add to your marketability if you don't want or it doesn't make sense to go full onto the portfolio. If you're a creative professional in any kind of artistic career or even a high level marketing or content role, a portfolio may not be a bad idea because you it's an add-on. So a, a lot of hiring managers aren't gonna ask for it specifically, but it can be something that really drives you know, more marketability because you have the ability to kind of show results in a visual way. So is it something that I tell people, yeah, you got to go get the website and spend three months creating it before you job search? Absolutely no. Um, but if you have the capability or the way to get like an easy one pager up, it could be beneficial for, for when there is more visual assets to present. Do the other social medias, because I forget, I thought that I've heard from HR in the past that technically they're not supposed to be looking at Facebook, Twitter, like personal when they're, when they're hiring. Is that true? No, okay. no. In, in fact, that stuff can really hurt you. So I would recommend having I tell people nothing, nothing that is that could that could bias somebody should be set on any kind of public mode. So all of all of your personal social media, in my opinion, should be set to pretty good privacy and anything that's outside of the privacy settings. You should like you shouldn't care if your grandmother sees it. Um, because anything that is political in nature, uh, questionable social, like, or ethical things that somebody could perceive as something that's not a fit for their, for their culture or their values could totally make or break. If you ever see on a job that they like, they, they verify, e-verify, that's like official, but probably also they're looking at your Facebook. Okay. And so, what your profile picture is and making assumptions based on that. So, right. You need to be intentional of what you're posting on the other social media outlets as well. Uh, if you're not going to lock those down and you're going to say, okay, like I want everybody to know these. I mean, maybe, maybe you are passionate about certain things and they, they have a political slant where you say, okay, this is great because if an organization sees this and wants to run, I don't want to be a part of that organization anyway. That's a good way to look at it. And so I, I think it's just like a business where if you have an employee out doing something and underneath the name of the business, that's going to impact your brand. I'm not going to say hurt. It's going to impact it. Those personal elements will impact your brand if they're able to be seen. And you have to be comfortable with whatever outcomes that that generates, whether it is turning off a potential employer who isn't a fit for you anyway, so therefore you wouldn't want to work for, or the flip side of somebody assuming something and creating a bias around you that actually has no bearing on your qualifications or ability to do the job. So it's it could it could go either way. And I think just having awareness around it is very important. So as far as channels to market yourself professionally, we're talking LinkedIn, social media, website if you have one portfolio, your resume, your cover letter, 
um, networking, uh, networking events. Is there anything else I'm missing or anything that's a big? So in the order, I'm going to say the order that you would want to create them order of importance and significance, the resume drives it all in my opinion. And so even when I work on personal branding projects with clients, we create the resume first because everything then spawns from that. We have the ability to work through the profile that they want to have and the words they want to have. So that drives it. And then, uh, your cover letter is like a little spin-off, spin-off, separate thing. LinkedIn should reflect the resume, but be in in the tone that's appropriate for the platform, which is kind of more conversational first person. And then all of that should get backed up if you're in an informational interview with tell me about yourself, how you know, what are you looking for? All of that should come back to the resume. So if some same with networking, informational interviews, and real interviews. If I pick up somebody's in, resume and the first words are dynamic an energetic professional, and you come into the interview and you are totally deadpan with like no personality, I'm suddenly questioning your brand and what you're trying to tell me and if anything else on that paper is true. So that's that's kind of how it all comes together and how we link the paper with the person and every all the little pieces in between. Let's talk a little bit about resume writing yeah. and um, and I guess some do's and don'ts and oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know some of some of those things that we've just heard for years. I mean, are you supposed to keep your resume to one page? Can it be oh. more than one page? Do you do? Are you supposed <laughs> to stay very standard or can you be? Can you have some designs? I mean, we've got a lot of creatives in the marketing biz. Mm-hmm. What are all the best practices? Yeah, and and the myths. Uh, so it's interesting because of the fact that we're talking about marketing, there's going to be an element to this conversation that I don't, it, that goes against my traditional kind of how I approach it, but I'll get to that in a second. So the one page question, like if you guys could see me right now, I'm like smacking my head because it is probably that and talking about the role of recruiters today is probably probably the two most asked questions. You're the, the one page has been beat into our heads by college career counselors. And like God love them. They do a great job of internships and helping you probably prepare for your first job, but resumes. So here's how this all comes together because higher the, the market is so personal brand driven. It has moved resumes from job description style into these like narrative stories where you talk about your responsibilities and the accomplishments that prove you can actually do those responsibilities or that you did those responsibilities. And because of that, once you have one job, it will not fit on one page. So that is like an arbitrary length that was really beaten into us early in our careers. And when when resumes were shorter and it just said like responsible for X, responsible for Y, you know, and just little tiny things. You cannot tell us an effective story in one page anymore. Um, and so I try to stick to two because usually once you've crossed two, unless you're writing a CV, uh, you're just being wordy. Uh, but the goal is like you, the resume needs to be the length it needs to be to tell the story that you're trying to tell. Sometimes that's a page and a third. Sometimes that's a page. Sometimes it's a page and three quarters. It's just what it is. Um, and that's also driven partially by this, the applicant tracking system, the computers that come into play, you have to have a content rich resume in order to have enough keywords for the computer to scan and spit you out the way we want it to spit out. And then it has to be appropriate for the human reader. So it's a balance. Yeah, I was just part of a hiring committee, Angie, for a principal at my last school. Uh And yeah, so we had anywhere from, I would say two pages is probably the, the shortest up to like 12. And there's well, a there's a sweet spot there, obviously. Yeah. You know, well, you get too well, long. On the extreme end of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a novel. So uh, it's really a full CV. 
Yeah. And and, and also, in, unless somebody wants a CV, we usually cut your experience. If you're a more tenured professional, cut it off at 10 years because it's so much more content rich now. You focus on the most recent 10 years because that is likely the stuff that's most relevant to where you want to go. There are anomalies where that's not the case, and I would get into it. And if you're one of those, you should just call me and save yourself the pain. But you know, if you focus in the narrative storytelling aspect of the most recent 10 years and you're succinct with it, it shouldn't be 12 pages long. How do we write for the scanning machines? Is this like SEO? Do we just have to put all those buzzwords in, even though they're not going to make sense to a, a human when they read them? Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I think writing a resume that successfully gets you through the hiring process, I think is a dance. Because if you go to, if you lean too heavily on over keywording your resume, and there are tools online that will scan it and tell it how well you're meeting a job description. If you try to meet that at 100%, a human is going to read that and go, I, I don't know what this is. Like, am I reading binary? <laughs> and so I think it's a balance of you have to strike the balance between enough keywords that you come out of those those filters with, with enough success. But ultimately, the human that picks it up is, is the one who's going to decide whether or not you move in, on the, into the process. So it's got to be keyword keyworded enough, but not so much that it turns off human eyes. LinkedIn profile. Okay. And and then and then all of your in-person interactions, informational interviews, networking, and real interviews. We had mentioned, especially with a lot of the creatives and especially the more graphically trained uh, people on the marketing side of things, what is the rule of thumb as far as graphics? on a resume. I mean, I love when I'm reading to see photos and I love pretty things, but what's the industry standard for that? There are two very distinct camps on this as far as the opinions go. Personally, I I write word document text-based black and white resumes because they're never going to make anybody mad. If if it's got if they don't like your picture, if it's a color they don't like, they're subconsciously you can subconsciously create bias just because of the like artistic or creative elements you decide to add to a resume. That said, I believe if you're a, a creative professional, like a graphic designer or an artist, it's a missed opportunity not to show a little bit of that personality um, through some sort of like designed resume that has some elements because that right right off the bat is a little bit of a portfolio in and of itself. So there's exceptions to the rule where I say if you in those specific industries and, and roles, it makes sense to throw in that creative flair. But the the safe side is those is those like word based resumes also because there's a lot of speculation out there that they uh, get through the computers and are able to be scanned a little bit easier too. Aha. So automation AI. Yeah, it's, a, it's could we dehumanize this process even more? Come on, that's a whole other conversation for a different podcast. <laughs> the rise, the rise of the machines. Okay, yeah. so we talked about resumes, we talked about LinkedIn, social. Let's talk about the in-person aspect, um, interviewing and networking. So we've we've got our resume, we've got our base, we're broadcasting that out of social media, and we are tactfully tooting our own horn on our accomplishments and whatnot. So now it's time we're networking, we're meeting people, we're going in for interviews. What do we need to focus on there? I love tactfully tooting your own horn, by the way. The the whole thing is coming back to the fact that the reason you start with the resume is because that you want to, it's a written way to define yourself and you want to make sure everything else lines up with that. And so the fact that if I if I read your resume and I meet you, I want it to reflect you. And that means that if you're an energetic personality, you want to be energetic when you're communicating with people. 
and that you're also uh, relaying the right sentiment when it comes to career goals, why you want to work for somewhere, uh, a really succinct response to the good old everybody's favorite question, interview starter offer, tell me about yourself, right? So you have the ability to really uh, craft well thought out, organized responses to that stuff while fostering conversation with somebody and getting to know them in a genuine, authentic way, because that's very, very important in hiring today is that like authenticity and and being a natural human that somebody wants to hire. And it's and it's it's important because obviously the, the goal of a resume, the goal of your brand is to get your foot in the door of an interview, period. The, a resume is not the goal of a resume is not to get you a job because the interview has to get you the job. And if you can't get through that person, that part and represent your personal brand and your skills and your character in in these conversations, the buck's always going to stop there. And so it's really important to have that kind of streamlined approach and consistency across the board. And the more you're able to kind of articulate and define that up front, the more confidence to come back to that word you have in those kind of maybe harder parts of the process where you've got to think a little bit more quickly on your feet while, you know, aligning everything with that brand and your goals. Well, and I also, one, one point that I wanted to touch on too, I think, you know, when you are stuck with the automated resume processing machine and you're just applying like everybody else when a position comes up, I think you're definitely at a, a disadvantage. And if I can go back to our plan of if you know your goals, know the work-life balance you want to be, ideally you've already identified some organizations of where you'd like to work. Bingo, yes. So, so I, am I jumping ahead? I'm getting into networking. No, that's part, no and, then, and that to me falls into all of that in-person, like let's call it direct communication. Uh, where you're presenting yourself. And networking is such a key part of hiring and job searching today. Because I what I, I, I usually say, if you get trigger happy on the submit button, it's a fast track to frustration. You have to find a way to bring people into the process, whether that's using the people you know, or creating the network you need by looking for companies that align with your values and goals and um, the way that you want to work in industries so that you can network into them or leaning on your alumni networks and you know, using people to your advantage, because also that's where you've heard me mention informational interviews. That's where informational interviews can be a benefit. That's where internal internal referrals come from. That's also where honing your pitch comes in handy, because now you're having less high stakes conversations with people to get used to talking about yourself and, and articulating that brand in person before you have to go sell it in an actual interview where a job's on the line. So networking has so many benefits. And I, I feel like a broken record sometimes because applying online is easy. But guess what? If it's easy, everybody's doing it. If you want to stand out and differentiate yourself and have a successful process and land a job that is more appropriate, higher level, pays you more, network. I will say too, so I started my career in radio and when I moved to Colorado, I had a couple of friends there, but nobody in the radio industry. So I called all the stations, set up meetings, said, I'm here, I'm you know interested and wanted to work. And eventually that led to a full-time job, morning show at KSPN Radio back in the day, producing yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And then same thing in Oregon. We moved to Oregon and said, we want to go here. This is the next step in our life. Nobody had jobs posted at the time, went and met with places and, and, and eventually flushed something out. I know it may not always work out like that, but I know there's a couple other books that I read too, just about intentional networking. And if there are companies you really want to be with, write a letter and say, hey, I'm so-and-so, I want to work for your company and I'm going to call you on this day until mm -hmm. I connect with you because 
you're going to hire me. There's that confidence of you know being bold and then creating that relationship. And then I'm sure there, there are tactful ways of doing that without annoying people. But again, I don't know um, how often you see that in the industry or if you have people that have done that and have had success doing that. But then if something does come up, then hopefully there's a name. People know you. They know you're interested. They know you're passionate. They know your skill set. Yep. There is a fine line between annoyance and persistence, and you want to ride it all day long. And it's it's interesting because in the hiring market today, employers, again, going back to the idea of being genuine, authentic and, and natural, really employers really want to hire somebody who they feel like almost has a bleeding heart for that organization. And I'm not even talking it has to be a nonprofit organization like a company. Gone are the days of us being wooed by companies. It's our job to woo them and almost court them and show them how much we want to work for them. And if you're able to ride that fine line between annoyance and persistence, you are doing that before you've even gotten into an interview process. I've had clients who've done that and have had roles created for them. Last month, I had a client who, who did that and navigated a process and literally got a job paying her $100,000 more than she made before. Wow. Like amazing, amazing results can come if you're willing to do things a little bit differently. And if you're really intentional about seeking out the places that you want to work and just going after them. Angie, how would you respond to the old adage, it's not what you know, it's who you know? Ah. I would say that just because you don't already know them doesn't mean they can't become someone that you know and therefore can be part of the network that gets you where you want to go. Yeah, and I think that really fits into my situation because uh, it was a mentor uh, that I reached out to when I had sort of my career put put up in into the air, let's say, and um, I had no idea that he knew a principal at a, a local school. Um, and he said, oh, well, I know the principal here and he's great and let me get you in touch with him and boom, there I am. So um, you, you also never know who knows who, right? So you just throw it, throw it out there and keep asking and keep talking and things can happen that way as well. Yes, you set me up perfectly, Jay, because so when I tell people the purpose of an, like the goal of informational interviews and of networking is to get internal referrals that lead to the interview. That said, the buck doesn't stop with the person you're talking to. I always say at the end of the conversation, ask who else in your network should I talk to as I make this you know, transition or navigate this search? That's how you get access to their network, which is potentially infinitely more available than just the one person you already know. And that's how you get to know the people you need to know instead of just leaning on your little inner circle. And LinkedIn is a huge here tidbit, guys. LinkedIn is a huge resource to doing that due diligence and knowing who you want to be connected to and who can introduce you to them. Excellent. Let's talk a little bit about that because uh, so Jay had a, an abrupt career change and he didn't really change from one total career to another. But let's address that. Um, how often do we need to be updating our resume and how often do we need to be looking for if something freak happens and we're, we're in the job market again? And then also let's talk too a little bit about if somebody's navigating a career change where they're not sure um, whether it's a small jump or a major jump into something completely different. How do we approach those? Okay, so I'm going to start there. So for me, career change is like uh, is changing the function and or industry that you're in. Okay. Like it's a big change into a new environment. Okay. To me, to me, when we get into like let's say a shift or pivot is a new role inside of an industry that you have familiarity with or um, a, a same function but change in industry kind of a thing. So it's kind of changing one but not changing all of them. Whereas the change is like the really I want to do something different. And, and that takes some planning and looking at transferable skills and figuring out how you translate your experience to market it to that those new spaces. 
Whereas if you're in the shift or pivot zone, you have the ability to lean on one area of overlap. Um, so that's, that's, that's the career that to me, that's how I would define something that's like a shift or pivot versus a full on change. So how often should we be that's updating right. our resume yeah. and job seeking, even if we we're not expecting a layoff yeah. or something? Truth be told, I hadn't written a resume in 16 years. Yeah. You should have been updating that every day, Jay, every day. Exactly. I, so, as, so as far as keeping your credentials up, updated, I think it's always smart to be open to, let's say, passive opportunities that might come your way. You never know when somebody is going to drop you a note on LinkedIn or somebody in the network is going to call and say, Josh, we got this cool opportunity. You may not think you, you're open and you're locked and loaded where you're at, but I think it's always good to at least take the phone call and be prepared for the good old shoot me your resume. So therefore, I think updating the resume should either be done anytime a significant promotion or accomplishment has been has been done at the job you have, or at least annually. Angie, let's talk a little bit about professional development, because ongoing education is important in all industries, of course. But do you have any idea on the ROI of additional education, training certifications when it comes to salary negotiations, both in hiring and or in annual salary reviews? Oh, interesting. I don't know that I can tie the that idea to a specific hard like return on investment or how it might impact, you know, earning potential. But what I can say is that it can be really integral in the actual job search process to securing that position. And then, of course, everything's negotiable. We can always negotiate higher. And there are so many interesting alternative education tracks, uh, certifications, boot camps, and different things that can really add hard skills to your credentials. Um, I think if you're making a career change or even like the shift pivot, these kinds of things are, are like low commitments that can really overhaul your marketability. Like for instance, let's say you've been in PR and you wanna move into digital marketing. Well, go get a Google Analytics certificate, go learn a couple of the you know Hootsuite, Salesforce platform tools that are very common in, in the market. So it gives you the ability without going all the way back to school to kind of close some gaps and build some kind of hard skills and familiarity that can be the foothold into some of those positions. So I think the return on investment is your overall marketability and brand building than it necessarily is dollar signs, but it all eventually funnels that way anyway. Yeah. And, you know, a, a, a funny comment that we get a lot with uh, with membership, of course, we're always with the AMA pushing towards becoming a member because you get discounts on our, our lunch events, the networking, all our tools and resources. And there's so many people that will say their job won't cover it. So they won't spend and invest the $150 a year in their own, which, which kind of blows my mind. But also, on, so I guess the, the takeaway is is don't be afraid if your employer's not going to do it to to do it yourself because it's an investment in you. But also I've and maybe I've just been very lucky at the last few employers that I have been, I've asked and they've covered. I was working at a radio station when the internet became a thing and like, hey, we gotta be online, we've got to be doing all this stuff online. I'm like, I don't know graphics, I don't know this stuff. And there was an uh, education course and I said, Will you pay for it? And they said yes. So don't be afraid to ask. The answer is always no if you don't ask. Yeah. And also, you're uh, no offense to anybody, but I think you're short-sighted if it's something like 150 bucks a year does is not. An, I, we're so hesitant to invest in ourselves, and I think that 150 bucks a year. I mean, connections. Yeah. We've talked so much about networking con connection that could be worth itself. Or I'll tell somebody that when they're like, "Oh, I don't know if I should spend this money on this package." 
you know, for career coaching. And I'm like, if we cut a month off your job search, you just broke even. And I guarantee we'll cut a month off your job search. So I would say, don't be too short sighted on the, on what the value is and when it's going to provide a return and what it can do for you. Cause it's not always just about the money. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, we know this in marketing as well. Uh, you know, you can't always calculate an exact ROI. So back to my question that I asked you, like, you know, no, we don't we don't know for sure what the exact conversion rate is on this investment in your you know career or career coaching. But it's going to benefit you yeah. endlessly down the line. Qualitative. I think this comes into play. So here's my last. This will be my last little tidbit on that front. I think qualitative outcomes are just as meaningful and impactful both to us as individuals and professionals and to our credentials and resumes as quantitative outcomes, because that's another resume thing. Like I have to have metrics. I have to have metrics. You guys are marketing. You got to have some metrics, but qualitative outcomes are just as important. And sometimes that's what these, you know, learning opportunities can provide for us and confidence building. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm gl I'm glad you mentioned that because that was a, a resume related question, and you may have just answered it. But if you can if you can expand upon that a little bit, so in in a resume, again, what is the balance of listing a laundry list of our responsibilities and qualitative data about results, conversions, like what we've done? I think it goes back to that balance because I've seen, for instance, I've seen sales resumes that are literally a bullet point of. Uh, sold this much this year, outperformed quota X year, did this number, number, number. And after three lines, I'm like, okay, clearly this is. And so I like, I want to see the narrative that tells me what you were doing or what you, while you were accomplishing those or what you did to accomplish those. So I, for me, half a dozen numbers in a marketing resume is probably enough. And that's, I, that's a, a number I've never actually attached to it. But in thinking about the visual of what I'm scanning through, a number that, that, that shows like a budget you're able to, to, to control, uh, something that is a growth statistic, something that shows engagement numbers. So it's, it's not just about the numbers. It's about what the numbers represent. And you want to have a diversity there and not just sticking numbers in for numbers sake so that it's readable by a human. Yeah. And, and we can even plug. So um, our recent podcast is a couple podcasts back on perfecting and, and, and making your pitch. We talk a little bit about that, knowing your audience, who your audience is, and also um, speaking to them, because if you just beat people over the head with uh, statistics all day, yeah, not going to not going to go too far. I know. It. Do you want to sit at a bunch of slideshows where all they have is numbers? That's like walking into your college and seeing the blue presentation screen up and you're like oh, angie i'm a math teacher yeah that sounds great oh yeah he's a, he's all about numbers my about dad that? was a math teacher and i'm a former engineer so i'm totally with you i saw lots of blue screens in college <laughs> before we we wrap up with our regular questions angie if you could just give us the the recap again so marketing yourself the strategy order and what we should be focusing on so I would say in a in a nutshell, and I don't do nutshells very well because I have way too many opinions. I think that you have to know why you're branding yourself and the intent and that you have a general path. You know, you have clarity on where you generally want to go in your career so that you can align the personal brand with it. And and all of the pieces that support that are your resume, your LinkedIn profile, to some extent, your cover letter when it comes to articulating your interest in a company. Um, and then in your conversations with people, whether they're a networking and informational interview, whether it's an actual interview, and just making sure that everything you present from the start to the finish of a job search process adds up. As President Bush once said, it's commonsensical. 
there you go. There's just so much out there for opinions and articles and do this, do that, don't do this, best practices that it just becomes so overwhelming. Find a doctrine and follow it. If it's me, cool. If it's somebody else, great, but just buy into one and, and go with it and it'll be a lot more streamlined and logical. All right, Angie, before we let you go, though, we do have to ask a couple of questions ending with why based off of uh, Simon Sinek's TED Talk, starting with why. What is your why? What makes you tick and do the things that you do? So for me, my why is a little bit more uh, about kind of purpose and what I think my my strength and kind of gift in this world is. And for me, that is it's the potential. So I was actually joking with somebody earlier today that I, I should change my title like chief potential officer because my my gift and therefore my purpose and why is very much seeing potential, identifying potential and figuring out how to motivate it into reality, whether that's potential in a business and maximizing it or whether that's your potential in your professional career and motivating that and building the confidence for you to have the hope that it's possible and therefore going out and achieving it. And that's what that's why inspiring confident professionals is our motto. And that's why I do what I do. Awesome. Who or what inspires you? I so it actually ties into what I was just talking about. I get really inspired by the hope people have of bigger possibilities. Whether you want to call it inspiration or motivation, for me, that very much comes from that potential and what it can possibly become and helping someone or something kind of work through the process of realizing that. What inspires me is taking a challenge and manifesting it into some sort of reality or outcome that's in some way, shape or form tangible. And I think in some way that still ties all the way back to being an engineer when I was like working through a design process and actually seeing a site I designed like out there in reality, I still am fed by some sort of like tactical like or tangible outcome. And that's really what inspires me is to is to see that happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 exciting. What is your favorite book and or podcast? And you don't have to limit it to just one if you've got a few. OK, so my favorite podcast, and this is more for business, probably more businessy, is Eventual Millionaire by, by Jamie Masters. Oh. Uh, she she does, she has conversations with uh, people who have figured out how to go from nothing, self-made millionaires. Um, of all kinds of walks of life. And they give so many interesting, actionable, actionable, practical insights that it's just super cool for somebody that's like tactical, like I am. So that would be my podcast recommendation. And then, oh, books, it's so many. So we already talked about the one thing, Rejection Proof and Brene Brown, right? Yep. Um, I'm looking around, I'm, I'm like sitting here looking at my books. Like, where, where, where is my stack of books? What did I talk about? You know what? I'm actually going to totally different than I would normally say uh, strengths finders. Oh, yeah. We've talked so much about confidence today that if you really just need an actual practical tool to work through to build some confidence and, and, and get words that are associated with you that you can even use in your personal brand, strengths finders is a great tool. Well, and isn't that the tool that um, some of the companies use for onboarding with employees mm -hmm. to find skill sets and who's strong at which? Yeah, that's one, that's one of it's my favorite. There's also a few. There's DISC. There's Predictive Index, but Strengths Finders for me is my favorite because it's entirely positive. I am surprised that in all the places I've worked over the years, and it's been quite a few, um, that there was really only one organization that did that. And I think that's so important to, I mean, to balance a team and have people that have different strengths and not only, but just to know your teammates, like what are their strengths? Totally. So, you know, you know, somebody knows that 
I'm very empathetic in that I'm very outgoing. So if somebody needs to have those skills for a project, we'll go to Josh. And if I need somebody that's more analytical, then I can go to Jay because he's the mathematician and he's going to rattle off numbers in my head and tell me, you know, the calculations on trajectories and whatever's. Exactly. And it's, I, I actually, so tie it back to a resume tidbit. I've actually, people will send me resumes and every once in a while, they'll actually put their five strengths on it. And it oh, means nice. immediately, immediately resonates with me because I understand strengths finders. So it's actually a way that if you, if somebody, if you can glean from a job description, the fact that there's those words in there and you understand strengths finders, that's a way to immediately appeal to their value and show that you've actually marketed yourself directly to them. So there's lots of cool uses, but I also think it's just a way to bring together your strengths and understand and, and understand in words what they are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important. Part of your personal branding. If you know what your strengths are, that's what you should be pushing through your resume and all your other channels. Exactly. And and I would probably go so far to say that those five strengths that come out through your top strengths finders are also transferable skills. Yeah. Awesome. If you're, cha- if you're making a shift or a change. All right, last question, based on what you've learned throughout your career, what is one piece of advice that you would offer to others? In case you haven't noticed, I never only have one answer to a question. So I'm gonna give you a two-part answer to this. Go for it. I'm gonna say take calculated risk and worry a whole lot less about what others think. Ah, good ones, good ones. Yeah, I mean, calculated risk, that's that's the basis for marketing and, and what, we, what we do for innovators. And yeah, who cares what everybody else thinks? Well, and I think it's just, I think that's what traps us in that mediocrity. It's what, it's what causes the fear of, of change is, I mean, when I, when I decided to not be an engineer anymore, my parents were not happy. I mean, like you, oh, you went to Carnegie Mellon, you have an engineering degree. What the heck? You know what I mean? And, And I just had to trust my own, I had to trust my own instincts and my own journey and I think if you take in too much external information, it'll just give you analysis paralysis and you won't do anything because you're way too worried about everybody else's opinions of your actions versus your own. And I think if you pair that with the calculated risk, you'll make smart decisions and not be reckless to the point where the people who had opinions were right, which is why I think the two go together. But I think that um, fear keeps us from doing both of those things. And there's a lot of possibilities that lie just outside of that boundary. Yeah. Awesome. Angie, I, I know we could go on talking. I know. Uh, I could do this all day long. Yeah. And and maybe there'll have to be a part B down the road when there's uh, some new topic that we could focus in on. But but thank you again. I, I think this is something that uh, marketers need to to realize marketing, you know, your number one asset. I mean, you're, yourself mm-hmm. and not just for marketers, but but for for everybody. everybody. I mean, everything you say, everything you put out there on, on the Internet, on social media. I mean, again, that that all comes back to you and your values and your your personal brand. So remember that when you're squawking at other people about political views and all that other malarkey. Exactly. Angie, if people want to get a hold of you, where do they reach you? If they want to chat with you a little more about something, where are you? So probably two best places are careerbenders.com is website. You can find all about me as if you didn't learn enough about me in the last hour. Um, and there's a booking link if you want to grab some time with me on the calendar just to talk about your individual challenges. I you know, I love working through that in whatever capacity makes sense for you. And then LinkedIn is a great kind of, let's say, more passive way to keep in touch with me. So Angie M. Callen on there. I apologize in advance. I will be your entire news feed. 
Um, and so you can kind of keep track of everything we're up to, the content Josh mentioned at the beginning, all kind of funnels to there, and then career vendors on all the social channels too. We do listen to the feedback of our members. And after every Lunch and Learn that we do, everybody wants more takeaways, more actionable items. So I understand that you have a little uh, something that we can put in the show notes on the podcast. Yes, I have. I am. Maybe it's my engineer in me. Maybe it's my personality. I am big on practical, tactical, actionable kind of items. So we put together kind of like a one sheet summary of all the you know, key things to talk about as you're developing and kind of implementing your personal brand. So that'll be part of the show notes, too. Awesome. Angie, thank you so much for your time today. Glad to have you on. And I can't say uh, enough good things about the No More Mondays podcast. Oh, thank you. You have a good feel for Angie's personality. And she, it's very, (laughs) there's a lot of parallels because she's talking to other professionals too about career changes they've made, their challenges, innovators, breaking through boundaries. And it's all very inspirational. So I, the the tidbits we get there from the people that you talk to, colleagues and everything is, is all great. More great resources, books. So if you like this kind of content, check out the No More Mondays podcast where all great podcasts are heard, I assume. Uh, Thank you so much for the plug. And yes, exactly. And this has been great. Josh, Jay, you too. Thank you so much for chiming in and for giving me an opportunity to just uh, give you the madness that lives in my head when it comes to job searching and branding and marketing and, you know, whatever other things live in there. Yeah, Jay, thanks for joining. And uh, Angie, next visit when I'm out, we'll all get together in the, the Rocky Mountains for a... Uh, do some oh, mountain things. Heck we'll do, yeah. We'll, we'll get together for a horn of ale. See yeah, you in the mountains. You awesome. <laughs> we are planning on returning to in-person events this fall at the GVSU Seedman Center. Our incoming AMA West Michigan Board of Directors is meeting as we speak to work out an awesome 2021-2022 season of events, topics, and programming. So remember, if you haven't already responded to our annual survey with your thoughts on last season and ideas for this coming season, please share your thoughts by emailing us info at amawestmichigan.org. Lastly, we do want to hear from you. What content are you loving? What do you want to hear more about? Let us know with a quick email to podcast at amawestmichigan.org. We also encourage you to subscribe, review, and engage with us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever great podcasts can be found. And I'd say that's a wrap. Wrap it up. We're online at amawestmichigan.org and active on social media, where you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The national hub for the American Marketing Association is ama.org, where you can also find a chapter near you. The Marketers in Motion podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at amawestmichigan.org, where we encourage you not only to subscribe and share our podcast, but review, ask questions, get involved, and engage with us. Don't forget important links, content, and resources will be included in the show notes for this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Marketers in Motion podcast, powered by the West Michigan chapter of the American Marketing Association. What will you do with the information you learned today? Be inspired. Be creative. Be bold. Set your marketing in motion.